What's up, everybody? I am back with another edition of the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast, where I'm joined by a special guest dissecting the markets. We get into a bunch of various topics surrounding investing, his overall mindset. We get into dividend investing and much, much, much more. But as always, as always, ladies and gents, this is not financial advice. Please, please, please do not take it as financial advice. Both myself and dissecting the markets are strictly stating our opinions, telling you our strategies with no intent of it being financial advice. And it is strictly our opinion and the opinion of ourselves alone, not of our businesses, companies, etc., etc. So, not financial advice, not financial advice, not financial advice. Now let's get into the episode. Whoosh. What's up, everybody? I am back with another edition of the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast. But first, before we get into it, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Financial Stock Data at financialstockdata.com. Use promo code GCI, as in Green Candle Investments, and you'll get the first month off their premium service free. You could add stocks to your to your watch list, put them on your radar, and if uh, you know something enticing about that stock comes on up, uh, it'll send you a notification, and then you can uh, decide whether or not if your thesis has changed, maybe you want to sell, or maybe you want to purchase a stock. Um, and they've been great friends to me over here at Green Candle. They've been around for a while. I use their platform for every single one of my stock breakdowns, so be sure to check them out. That's financialstockdata.com financialstockdata.com with promo code GCI for their first month free. And now for the interview, I have a very special guest at Dissecting the Markets. We've connected on both Twitter and Instagram, uh, or no, not Instagram, Twitter and Common Stock, I'm sorry. And uh, he's been uh, you know, putting out some great quality content out there. So uh, Dissecting the Markets, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Brandon. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm a little frazzled. Uh, we're recording this on Monday, the 20th. So, um, you know, for some, the, the markets are closed today, but, um, you know, it's, it's always a great day to talk a little bit about uh, stocks and other financial markets and things like that, too. So uh, on that note, why don't you tell me a little bit about of how you got started into investing and like how you kind of find found it? Was it something you know, along the lines of maybe your parents or, or something like that? Or did you study it in school? Or um, did you just kind of like, you know, have the itch to, to learn a, l- a little bit about growing your wealth? So I got into investing in this unexpected way, I guess. So my parents, they were not investors. At school, we never even learned by investing. Pretty much, I just stumbled upon it through luck. You know, I was just one of those kids, you know, at a young age, hungry to, like, become rich, like all the people I look up to. And I remember at one point, one of my mentors, he is actually a retiree, and he, like, built his wealth through investing. And he told me this. He said that you have a limited amount of hours in a day. You can just choose any career you want from like doctor, engineer, whatever. And it's like, sure, you get a high salary, but will that truly make you rich? Or are you or do you have to like keep dishing out hours just to like try and become Bill Gates and do a careers? It's gonna be impossible if you can keep dishing out hours for an employer trying to become rich. So he said, Why don't you just invest your money? buy stocks, buy commodities, anything that makes you wealth while you sleep. And I was like, this stuff exists? And he's like, yeah, the stock market's been a place where you invest. And I was like, I thought it's the only place where you trade, not invest. But he like blew my mind and said like, that's where the 401ks are and so on. And that's pretty much how I stumbled upon the idea that the stock market is the place to invest. Yeah, so it sounds like you kind of had like a mentor or somebody along those lines uh, or in that same breath uh, to kind of help you push that way. Um, 
So I, I guess like how how did you find that mentor? Uh, you know, was it maybe somebody I know you said, you know, your family or your parents weren't necessarily investors. Um, but uh, yeah, like how did you kind of put yourself in that position to find somebody that would like kind of, uh, I guess, guide you that way? Did you just like kind of you know start putting out investing related content or did you just find, uh, you know, maybe some some social influencers or something along those lines? Like, how did you uh, stumble across this? So I found him just from playing squash. Um, are you familiar with the sport? No, I'm not really. So squash is like, it's kind of like racquetball. So the ball is smaller, it's less bouncy, the racket's longer, but the surface area of the net is shorter. And a lot of rich people, they play squash. Well, I didn't come from a rich family, I come from middle class, but just playing squash, playing squash alone just allows me to meet those type of people. You know, people that are, you know, well settled, people that come from like top universities and stuff. They call it a rich person sport, but I'm middle class, but that's how I found him. That's awesome. So it sounds like you just kind of put yourself in that position, you know, whether it's sports, you know, golf or, or something along those lines. Like I think always trying to interact with those, you know, people that, uh, you know, are wealthy that you can kind of absorb and learn a lot from them uh, in a short period of time. And they usually seem willing, especially, you know, for like a younger ambitious person or somebody, something along those lines to, to kind of help them out or, or guide them. Um, so I think that's great, obviously, that you found that. And, uh, you know, now here you are. Um, so you are on Common Stock and on Twitter and kind of put out some investing related content. Um, did mm-hmm. you know, just learning from uh, this mentor kind of, uh, you know, sway you to start to do that? Just be like, hey, you know, he taught me. So the least I could do is maybe try to teach some teach some other people by by putting out some uh, investing related content. So my venture into social media actually didn't come from that um i was most so as i was like doing more research about like how to become wealthy and stuff so there's this one twitter creator named david perel and he said back in the day you build a product then you build the audience but now it's like you have to build the audience first And then that's when you build a product and sell it and so on. So when I was like venturing to social media, I was like, I want to like try and make money off of it because, you know, as like a student with like not that much capital, I guess it is the ideal business, you know, affiliate marketing and so on. So I didn't know what to talk about at the time, but I was so interested in investing and I found this great group of people, a variety of people in like the Twitter investing world. And that's where like, I was inspired to make content about investing. I was like, this is something I can do. You know, I can't do like beauty products or, you know, food or whatever, but investing is like, I, I have some knowledge and I'm willing to learn. And at the same time, it's like something I love talking about. So that's why I make investing content today. That's awesome. And uh, obviously, you know, we've we've connected a little bit through there. Um, and, you know, now, now here we are having this conversation. And so uh, I guess like putting out the content, like how, how has that helped you uh, or has it helped you become like a better investor? Uh, you know, maybe the sharing of ideas or, or other things like that. Has it kind of changed your approach or anything like that? So I noticed that a lot of the content that seems to generate the most buzz would be like contrarian content. So like, for example, um, Tesla, it's like a hot stock. And I guess these days, the, what do you call it? The divisiveness between bulls and bears has cooled down, but back in the day it was like hot. And the bull like arguments, it's like those tweets or articles they seem to generate like less views, less talk, but then the bearish articles seem to like gain a lot more talk. And at the time, like Tesla was just roaring. So I was just like, 
maybe if I focus more on like contrarian ideas, maybe that's what would help me like grow my account. And then with that, I was forced to think contrarian. And from there, it's like, I learned a lot more about the world. And at the same time, I had an easier time growing my audience. That's great. And then, okay, so then dissecting the markets, how did you come up with the name? Um, did it just kind of, you know, come to you that way? Or was it because of, you know, the, the way you kind of analyze things and look at things a little bit more contrarian? You know, that's a great question. Um, because back in the day when I was like starting out with the, you know, talking about investments and social media, I needed a name. I didn't know what to, t what to name myself as. So I just put it as that. It was like one of those like random thoughts, but then as time went on, as I showed it to my friends, you know, the name and stuff, like everyone's like, it's such a great name. Like, and I'm just like, so I shouldn't change it because this was what I intended as my rough draft name, but they said, no, keep it as your final draft. It's really good. So I just stuck with it. That's awesome. Well, now here you are. Okay. So, uh, Tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, all the content you put out. So you've grown a Twitter profile. Do you like, you know, write, write sub stacks or do you do anything along those lines in order to kind of, uh, I guess, get your ideas out a little bit on, on long form? I know that, you know, we both use common stock and you actually have a pretty big following on common stock, um, which is great. And that those ideas are a little bit more long form, but which, uh, I guess, platform do you kind of uh, like a little bit more? Obviously, it's not not an ad or anything like that. But do you kind of like the idea of uh, things getting a little bit more long form and kind of uh, almost like blogging and, and writing out your full uh, theses for uh, various stocks and various uh, investments? Ooh, that's a tough question. I would say, you know, my thing with Twitter threads is that um, they just feel more tedious than like writing a memo on common stock. So I guess if I were to write long form, I normally just do it on common stock. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, that's a little bit, I guess, about your background and like how you got into putting out, uh, putting out content and things like that. Now let's get into uh, kind of the interesting times that we're in right now. And interesting is very, uh, I guess, generous. So we're in a very, you know, as, as everybody knows, inflation's kind of buzzword and around the news and everything like that. And, you know, we've had everything from the COVID crash uh, two years ago to now, um, you know, the, the large spike up. And then now it seems like we're everything is falling back down again. Um, so how have you kind of, uh, I guess, positioned yourself uh, throughout this entire time? Have you like changed up a strategy or, or anything like that? Um, and, uh, you know, how are you kind of viewing, uh, overall market conditions today? So when the whole, like, so before the COVID crash, um, I was like more focused on becoming just pure dividend investing. I wasn't that much interested in growth, even though like it was roaring in like 2019 and such. But when 2020 came, I started to like, so I first did nothing for like the first couple months, like from March, you know, when the crash happened until November of that same year. And since I held a lot of growth stocks at the time, because I was slowly transitioning into like dividend investing. So I was just lucky to like take huge profits around November. But as we all know, November was like tiny compared to like, what happened like 2021 when like a lot of these stocks just kept roaring. So with the proceeds I had cashing on November from growth stocks, I poured more into QILD. That's like my favorite investment. It's the NASDAQ covered call ETF. I just poured more into it because it just had such a great yield. Um, the investment strategy just seemed great. And the volatility of the dividend payments just wasn't much. So, by the time growth stocks were really roaring, like euphoric levels, I was already like full on in dividend. Once the crash happened um, around like late, like around like mid to late 2021, 
I was like, just at least I was just cashing the dividend checks, reinvesting my dividends. And then by 2022, when like things really got bad, I started going back into stocks. Like, you know, anything that has like a lower dividend yield, that's more growth potential, but I chose to focus more on like blue chips rather than like C or all these other, you know, extreme growth stocks, you would say. So I've been that I've been pouring into like Home Depot, um, what else? Stanley Black and Decker, 3M, Target, and so on. So now I'm just capitalizing on the discounts on these blue chip dividend growth stocks. I gotcha. Now that makes sense. So um, you've kind of alluded to it, but how would you describe your investing strategy and kind of how did you come uh, along to that? Because, um, you know, for those that have been following me and, and kind of have been listening to a few of my interviews, they know like Common Stock is a platform where you could kind of share your um, your holdings. And so, you know, you're you're somebody that's doing that. And so it's about 60 percent of your portfolio is like funds. Um, about 28, 27% is about stocks and like 13% is crypto. Um, so yeah, like how did you kind of come up with this strategy? Um, and like, how would you describe it? Would you describe yourself? Uh, you know, you said like initially you were dividend. Is that kind of still how you would describe yourself? Are you more growth or, or have you pivoted? So I went from being just mostly focused on dividend with some growth to like, being both dividend and dividend growth. Um, I guess overall, I'm still figuring out my investment strategy. I'm more like trying to like adapt to the times in a sense or capitalizing on opportunities when I see them. Um, but as for my crypto, okay, crypto is different because, you know, everything in crypto is like pure aggressive like assets. So from there, I'm more like long-term oriented with like a couple small positions I got for free because Coinbase gives you like free crypto when you take their quizzes. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know how to sum it up in one word. I gotcha. No, I mean, that makes sense. And so... Um... You know, when you were kind of getting into investing, uh, like, was there anything that you like maybe read, listened to or anything to kind of help like self-educate yourself? Um, or did you just kind of like jump in and just kind of figure it out as you as you've gone on? So when I was like really young, I started out with paper trading. And during my first year, which is around like June 2016 to June 2017, I was just mostly focused on day trading, you know, just want to see how it's like being a day trader and, and such. Um, I liked it, but at the same time, I wasn't fond of like all the work that has to go into it. And because of that, it's like for like the next few years until I turned 18, I was just focused on like trying to like learn investing with so not investing, um, swing trading with paper trading. But once I turned 18, when I got my first brokerage account, I was like more focused on like, you know, applying whatever knowledge I gained from it, from the paper trading onto the real world. So I had some growth, some dividend. And I guess like, I don't know, I'm not sure what event exactly prompted me to dividend investing but I think it's because I kind of like the feeling of receiving dividends I think that's what really inspired me to really like transition more in towards like dividend stocks rather than pure growth stocks yeah no, I get it so I mean I think like the way I view investing is there's like various strategies right and it, it all depends on what you want to get out of investing so you know if if you're maybe somebody starting out and like have little amount of capital to get uh, started, you know, dividend investing is great because essentially you're having companies either, you know, reinvest for you or, uh, you know, you're, you're getting a little bit of a payout. 
Um, and I think like, it really just depends on like, like, like I said, like what you want. So um, I think like normally people just view stocks as like buy and hold and I'm going to hold on to them forever and uh, never really uh, sell them and, and collect a profit. And that's just kind of the way it is. And like real estate is more like cash flow, uh, something along those lines. But people don't really realize like, you know, you can get a little bit of cash flow for dividend investing. Now, granted, that cash flow might be not be as lucrative as, you know, maybe uh, real estate investing, but also like, you know, the barrier to entry on those dividend stocks is, uh, you know, significantly lower than, um, you know, maybe that uh, that of like a real estate property or something along those lines, too. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think like just getting the payouts and, and kind of going through it that way, uh, is always great. Um, I know like some people like live and die by that strategy. Granted, I don't think like there's one strategy that, um, that anybody should ever say is like the way to do it. You know, I think like everybody kind of has, like I said, their own investing journey and they're kind of going along that as well. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, once you start off, it could be one way and it can kind of transition, which is interesting that, you know, you've kind of gotten into that a little bit of that transition. Um, so uh, during these times, like what has been, I guess, what biggest takeaway from investing like during, you know, such a volatile swings, as you said, you started kind of like in the 2016 you know, paper trading realm um, with these big swings going on now, is there you know, one lesson that you've kind of learned uh, along those lines? Or is there something that, you know, has really like stuck out to you that you're like, okay, like, even though, um, you know, there's these long swings, this is kind of how I want to see my strategy like progressing going forward. I think these long swings inspire me to just focus more, <clears throat> focus more on dividend investing. But at the same time, especially now with like these blue chips trading, like, really great prices with dividend yields at such a great price it's like inspire me to like want to invest more when markets go down because looking back it's like that covid crash that was very short um even warren buffett said that like the fed didn't give him enough time to buy the dip and it's like just from the covid crash alone it's inspired me to like, you know, cherish every correction that the market has, you know, because you just never know when the bottom is. And at the same time, it's like, you know, if you can't, if you can't get it now, like, what's the likelihood that you can get that same asset at that same price, or with the same dividend yield in the future? Like, you just don't know. So that's why I just cherish every dip that the market gives me. As long as the asset is a dividend payer, if it's like trade desk where like it doesn't pay a dividend, then I'm like, I'm going to remain on the sidelines because those dividends help me remain patient. But if there's no dividend, I don't think I could remain patient for these stocks. Yeah, I got you. That makes sense. So you, you like the, the I guess, the feeling of a little bit of a payout. And it seems like that that's kind of like, uh, you know, your your strategy is still more a little bit more dividend. But I, I agree with you, too, is like, OK, you know, they always talk about, uh, you know, buy, buy low, sell high. Right. And so during this time, this is kind of where you show you know, what, what you're really made of. And like, this is where, where wealth is a lot of accumulated because, uh, you know, like I said, this, or like you said, the stocks are kind of coming down right now. So uh, I would much rather buy while it's going down and like, okay, maybe lose some in the short term, but, you know, knowing long-term that, that it's either it's already been higher or it will continue to go higher, I think is obviously like a great, um, you know, a great thing to kind of look back on, like, okay, like, you know, maybe I lost some money in the short term, but uh, long term, like it ended up paying off uh, really well. So um, I think it's interesting. And, and I think like, you know, that's overall a good, good strategy to kind of go through. Um, and then I guess my, my next question would be, uh, all right, so if you, um, you know, kind of have some friends that maybe are not uh, into investing or haven't really gotten started in it yet, uh, how would you kind of, uh, I guess, convince them now to 
uh, kind of get started or like kind of sell them on the idea of investing and growing their wealth? For me, I guess I would just sell them on like probably the exact same thing that sold me onto investing, which is, you know, if you buy, you know, a dividend paying stock, you're basically making money while you sleep. And if it's a dividend growth stock, it's like, not only do you get paid while you sleep, but you get a pay raise automatically. Like you don't have to ask a boss, you just receive it. Yeah, exactly. So it's you're you're in more control of your wealth, um, just strictly because you're investing it for the long term. And then you know, but on the flip side, then what if uh, you know you tell what if somebody kind of comes back with you and says like, okay, well, you know, I don't know if I really trust myself or what, um, and like the stock market's going down, like there's a lot of a lot of negative news around it right now. Um, so how would you kind of I guess sway them into more of a positive because you know, like you said, it it is like good long term and and you can kind of tell them to zoom out. But initially, it might be kind of hard to uh, to to sell somebody on that, um, that idea when they have that, you know, negative feeling that they can lose money initially. So with that, I would like encourage them to go look into blue chip stocks. And I tell them this. Do you shop at Walmart every week? Do you um do you buy cleaning supplies every week or do you buy medicine every week? Or do you know, like if people get vaccines, like back in the day, like Pfizer used to be like a big vaccine manufacturer. So I'd be like, do you see more people getting vaccines and stuff like that? So overall, just looking around your environment, seeing like all of these brands that you consume, all the brands that you see in your credit card and that alone should be convincing for you to like buy shares of like Walmart or Target or Clorox or whatever. So that's how I would sell it on them. And I'd even tell them like, Hey, things go up and down, but you're still buying food. You're still cleaning your house. You're still getting gas and so on and so forth. Yeah, so that's kind of like the the Warren Buffett method, um, which is interesting because you haven't really mentioned that uh, you know you you read or heard anything from him, but I I think that that principle kind of holds true with almost everybody, and uh, you know it's kind of like the value investing principles. But although you know you're more dividend and, and growth, um, it seems like you know everybody that I've talked to kind of has some uh, you know interaction or some. Uh, I guess, mindset piece from Warren Buffett, where he says, you know, buy brands that you use every day. So like I'm doing this on a on an Apple computer. So why not, uh, you know, invest in Apple or, you know, I'm, I, li- I like to wear my AirPods, something along those lines. Or like you said, shop at Walmart, um, you know, focus on a lot of these uh, big chip and blue chip stocks that you use every single day. And I think like, you know, you'll end up being all right, because like whether it's uh, just investing in like a just a general index or something along those lines. It it always is kind of a you know a, a safe investment. And granted, you know we're we're obviously not financial advisors, so this is not financial advice by any means. I just think that overall, like there there's a lot of in, uh, information and content out there that you can figure it out yourself. And uh, I think that's like truly powerful. The spread of information now. Um, and so I, I think like, you know, both you and I are kind of examples of that, that you don't need to study it or do anything along those lines, that, but you can grow your own wealth and uh, figure it out that way. So, um, yeah. So on that note, I guess, what would you what would be like the one piece of advice after, you know, maybe like trying to help them get away from, you know, maybe being like nervous or scared or something like that? Like they're like, OK, now I want to get invested um, and I'm looking at companies that I, that I shop at and everything like that. Um, would you give them any other piece of advice after getting started like that? Or would you just kind of be like, all right, you know, just keep educating and keep figuring it out that way. Um, so yeah, how would you, I guess, approach that for the next step after that? I would just like tell them, like, as you said, like, you know, tell them, Hey, just keep educating yourself, keep learning. Cause 
I don't want them to be in this analysis paralysis stage. Like I know they talk about this a lot in like real estate investing, but it can even apply to stock market investing where it's like people delay their execution or they delay getting started because they're just too focused on like analyzing different variables and just not getting started. So yeah, I just tell them, hey, just keep educating yourself. Um, don't make it complicated. Don't scare yourself. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, yeah, this has all been great advice and great, uh, you know, uh, obviously not financial advice, but great ways to kind of get started and the ways to look at the market and everything like that. Now let's dive into to some of your holdings. Uh, you kind of mentioned it. Uh, QYLD, it's a global X index fund of the NASDAQ, and it's 100 covered calls ETF. Uh, so that's a vast majority of your portfolio. So how did you kind of find this? And, uh, you know, wh why did this seem like an enticing investment for you? Okay, so um, we're, I'm looking at one of your holdings and the vast majority of your portfolio is QYLD. You've already kind of mentioned it a little bit. Um, it's a global X fund, uh, the NASDAQ with a hundred co covered calls. So, uh, first off, like what is the, uh, for the audience, like what is a covered called ETF and like, why is this, uh, why was this an enticing investment for you? So a covered call is basically an options trading strategy where when you hold 100 shares of a stock, you write an options contract. This contract says that the holder of this option gets to buy these 100 shares of whatever company at the strike price um, anytime from now until expiration and Usually the option executes like automatically when the option expires. So it's like you can hold the option and execute the, um, the exercise when they're in the money and at the expiration date. But how I got into it, it actually used to be Dividend Twitter's biggest um, or most favorite or most talked about investment because um, back in the day, AT&T used to be the big dividend Twitter favorite stock. But after talking about doing spinoffs and cutting the dividend, they just all went to QYLD. And then that's how I got introduced to it. And I just loved the monthly dividends I receive, even though they're variable in payment. And Cover calls, I think, are a great, it's not financial advice. This nothing I say here is financial advice, but I think cover calls are a great way to like enhance one's investment returns while also hedging against market volatility and stuff. So uh, do you, I, I know that uh, it is kind of difficult to uh, maybe figure it out uh, via like this link, broker but do you do any of your own like personal options or anything like that um or do you just kind of like stay for the long term and you're fine with uh letting this etf do the option trading for you so right now i don't have much capital but um once i do i think that's when i'll start writing my own options but in the meantime i'll just let the etf um do everything for me Gotcha. Now that makes sense. All right. So you kind of got into why you got invested in it. Now, what would make you change that investment? And uh, whether it's sell, sell or maybe like limit that position or, or move it down a little bit so you're not as, um, you know, into that position? Uh, is there something that could potentially change or, you know, maybe like a bear argument that you could see that would make it uh, maybe less enticing? So the only issue with a covered call ETF is that they underperform when stocks are rising. When stocks are stagnant or declining, that's when a covered call ETF outperforms the index. Um, since I bought QILD, 
um, even throughout the roaring like 2020 bull market, I was pretty chill, like missing out on like those huge stock returns because I just wanted a dividend. Um, if there's a reason for me to reduce that position, it would be because I found a much better opportunity out there. That's really it. If there's like a better opportunity, basically, um, even with the stock market declining, you know, I'm still, I still prefer QILD because the yields are just very great and they're helping me like outperform the market despite the volatility. Um, I guess maybe if McDonald's gets an eight, has an 8% dividend yield, yeah, I might consider McDonald's over QILD or same with like other blue chips. I gotcha. I gotcha. So now you have, um, so after that, you do have a couple other stocks. So um, you have Stag Industrial uh, Realty Income and Agree Realty. Is there any one that you like in particular that you want to kind of discuss and dive right into? Uh, I know Stag is kind of like your second biggest holding. Um, to be honest, the only reason why I invest in all three of them because they're like, their monthly dividend paying stocks and I'm not that focused on the dividend growth of those stocks. I'm just like, they own property, they lease it, they give monthly dividends. And I understand like the landlord business a lot better than like, you know, any of these REITs that deal with like mortgages and such. So that's really it. Um, Otherwise, they just seem boring to me. Hey, I get it. But I, uh, monthly dividend payment sounds pretty enticing. So I think, uh, you know, I agree with you there that, um, you know, this could be something that's advantageous, uh, you know, for somebody to invest in, especially with like limited capital, as you're saying, um, because, you know, at the end of the day, they, uh, you know, can can go through and kind of like buy these stocks and get uh, more so of these, uh, you know, dividend payments and especially monthly. Uh, I think it's, it's pretty interesting because I know I, I, uh, I hold Apple uh, full disclosure and that pays quarterly. Um, whereas, you know, some of these other ones now that you're saying like holds monthly. And so that kind of helps it grow and compound a little bit quicker, um, which is awesome. And uh, it seems like those are pretty high paying dividend stocks. But is there anything that would kind of, uh, I guess, make you get away from dividend investing? Because I know early on, like I, like we've been discussing, it's good, but it's also kind of taking money away from the business to kind of reinvest the business. So although you're getting more of these stocks, maybe the company's value isn't growing as rapidly as it could. Um, so is there something where you would be like, okay, you know, instead of these um, you know, maybe dividend investing stocks, uh, maybe I'll move into, you know, maybe more of a, a growth company or, or something along those lines. Um, I guess the only thing that would move me more towards like growth would be if like a, I graduate college and like start making income. So with the income from my job, I could be like more patient on growth stocks and two, um, if we're like, in a recession and you know amid this big recession we see like companies that are like you know they're still going to revenues and um not many people heard of them even though like they're gaining some talk on the mass media uh, one stock i could think of would be amazon or google during the recession because not many people know this but during the recession, the 2008 one, Google and Amazon, they were like talked about by CNBC and like other media outlets as like they're growing their revenues despite the recession. And then at the time, like journalists were like questioning, is the internet really the future or are people going to like order more goods online than in store and so on? And like, if I was like, Make, if I was like a, a working professional during that time and I see a news and like Amazon's growing the recession, Google's growing the recession, that'd be like, I think I'd like to invest in them 
because I have confidence that if they could go into recession now, they could like do really well in the future. And plus they look like they're early on like some big trend that's going to happen later on in the world. So, yeah. I gotcha. And uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense because now I think that, uh, you know, it almost seems like we're kind of like in an impending recession um, where we're trying to figure out, um, you know, what, like how bad it's going to be. You know, we're seeing, like we discussed, uh, we're seeing rising costs of inflation and everything like that. Um, And so, yeah, uh, you know, it definitely could could see some things change and uh, maybe move to some businesses that have thrived in recessions too. So um, overall, just like kind of a good, good mindset to go about it. Um, but uh, yeah, so one last question before we, before we wrap it up and let you go. Um, so how are you thinking about the market going forward? Are you kind of bullish, bearish? Are you more staying the course and why? Okay, so let's start with the recession um, scare. So I have mixed feelings about it. Um, on one end, it's like, I can understand why we might be entering a recession because consumers are spending more on necessities than on discretionary stuff, which is like bad for economic growth. However, um, I learned this in my monetary econ class where it's like, in times of like supply shocks, like these times, um, the Fed has two options. They can either let inflation run its course and the market's self-correcting mechanism can like put things back together and we won't be seeing like a recession in that way. Or the Fed could like hike rates and kind of like force a recession by like reducing aggregate demand. And the Fed works for the people, by the way. Like many people, they think the Fed's like evil and stuff, but at the end of the day, the Fed works for people. They aren't focused on making a profit. And the main thing that like affects their decisions are like employment numbers, um, how the regional Fed chairs or presidents feel about their region and so on. So the Fed has been aggressive in hiking rates because it seems like that's what the people want because the people, they're... They're more tired about the inflation than on like looking at the positives, like, hey, like the economy is still robust despite the inflation. Um, they still have jobs and so on. Now, I'm not sure what Powell will do because, you know, he's hiking rates on one end, but the other end, he seems like someone who would still let inflation run its course. So we'll have to see on that. As for energy, so many people still think that oil can go like a lot higher and stuff, go to like $200 a barrel. I actually think that we might see oil going down. Now, the main reason why is because of three three things. Number one, the strategic petroleum reserve. Like the president has been unleashing a lot of supply of oil by releasing the SPR. However, um, the way in which he's going about it is underrated because when the whole war started, when all these sanctions first started, so the U.S. lost some like supply of oil from Russia. But at the same time, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, I read somewhere that the amount of barrels of oil released from there is a lot higher than like what the world normally gets from Russia. And despite that, um, oil prices still go up, but I think that the president is willing to go as far as to deplete it just to bring oil prices down. I know that the high oil prices are hindering his approval rating. I'm not on anyone's side, but you know, people are underestimating what he can do to bring prices down. The second thing is Venezuela. So... I think it was last week that, or a week before, that sanctions of Venezuela have been loosened as a way to like encourage more supply of oil to enter the markets. And it's small; it's going to be small in the beginning, 
but I have a good feeling that Venezuela is going to like find ways to release more oil into the markets. Like they need that money, not only to pay down their debts, but to pay for their social services, their military, so on. And at the same time, the U.S. wants to improve relations with Venezuela because, you know, in times of war, it's like you got to like turn your other enemies into your friends and turn these new friends against the big enemy. And I see something similar happening with Iran. Now, Iran, the Iran nuclear deal stuff, it seems like talks are on halt, but I have a good feeling that there will be a deal coming soon. And then once oil from Iran is able to like enter the international markets, I think from there, it's like just having two big oil-producing nations re-entering the market just, it will create a huge supply gut, glut of oil. And in the process, looking at other commodities like wood, um, chips, so on, like those prices are already coming down. Um, I don't know if you know about this, but the supply of wood last summer was like very high, but then it's dropped a lot since then. And then same with chips, except those chip prices are starting to come down recently. Same with shipping, as like shipping demand is declining. And yeah, so I think right now we're in the process of, we're seeing more headwinds in commodities. So we might have passed the peak of commodities. Or who knows? Um, I'm just going contrarian against the current sentiments in the market i got you and that's great and i think like you know it's interesting because i definitely think like we're kind of on the brink of potentially like an energy crisis because the reserves have kind of uh you know been depleted uh kind of as you as you said and that um you know there's still like extremely high gas prices and things like that in the United States. But granted, like if we were to change maybe a few policies here or there, um, you know, at the end of the day, the United States could be like pretty self-sovereign when it comes to like oil and gas. But will we go that way? I'm not really sure. Um, You know, the current administration seems to be very much for the, um, you know, the ESG and kind of like the green narrative. So they're trying to get away from that. Um, but it's kind of hurting us and, you know, it's definitely hurting us uh, because it, it wasn't you know, really made with uh, very much foresight, I think. And it's kind of put in a, put us in a bad position. Um, and so I hope that that changes. But like I said, um, you know, who knows? Uh, there's a lot of unknowns here. I think whether or not Powell raises rates uh, really depends on like how the market interacts and changes because, I, I have like these tw- Twitter spaces that I do on Tuesday nights and a point's been raised a couple of times, which I think is really interesting is that, you know, although like money printing and like the access to capital has been super easy, uh, you know, this recession isn't just caused necessarily by the massive amount of money printed. Granted, that didn't help. And that definitely, you know, caused a lot of inflation. But you know, at the end of the day, like shutting down an economy for uh, quite some time, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily help uh, the fact when, you know, you got supply chains and some chip shortages and other things like that, too. Um, And especially like, you know, making some of these goods and services. So I'm not exactly bullish on on the near term and don't want to be doom and gloom. But I definitely think that there's ways to kind of make money uh, in the market through there. And Definitely some things that uh, if a company could figure out, you know, their supply chain issues or figure out, you know, uh, how to deploy more chips and and things like that. I think, uh, you know, there's definitely could be some enticing investments out there. So, um, yeah, on that note, do you have anything else to kind of wrap it up before we uh, let you sign off here? Um, Regarding the chip shortage. So I was actually reading an article last night how analysts were actually predicting a chip glut next year. Like, it seems surprising and all, but, like, considering, like, how chip makers have been ramping up their production, 
you know, these like past few years and with a projected like with a projected recession, it's like we might go quickly from like a chip shortage to a chip glut. So that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, I think that too, like, you know, a lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of people have uh, kind of or a lot of businesses have like seen the demand spike up. And so I think another issue that we might run into is that, you know, not only uh, just chips, but other businesses, I know we're seeing Target and some other companies like that are kind of overproducing goods and now having to put them on like clearance because there's too many uh, because they anticipated, you know, a big spike in demand when really it was uh, just a shortage in supply. And so I think there's going to be kind of like that that weird medium going on where uh, not only are we going to have like a you know spike in supply, but the demand may decrease as well. So um, I, it's definitely interesting times in the market. Like I'm not really sure how it's going to play out, but uh, you know I'm definitely here for along the ride and everything like that. But um, dissecting the markets. Thank you so much for your time today. And uh, why don't you tell everybody, you know, what, what you got going on and where they can find you? So I do write on Common Stock and on Twitter. Um, but on Common Stock, that's where I find, like, that's where you'll find, like, the memos that, like, I just come up with on the spot. Um, for things, for ideas that, like, have been burning my head, um, you'll find me on Vocal, which is a it's kind of like medium but a different different you know business um you'll find like more of my other long-form ideas there other than that um i guess i'm most active on twitter gotcha yeah so find him on twitter and a common stock and what is your handle it's at dissect markets so yeah for twitter because yeah 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 so um yeah be sure to check him out. He's putting out great content. And uh, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. All right. Now that's it for the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast. Thanks for listening.